again Though it's hard to see it now You feel you're walking all alone But He is there, no doubt In the storm around you rages And you're tossed to and fro When you're faced with life's decisions Not sure which way to go Stand still and let God move swiftly rising and to wonder where he's been there has never been a moment when his arms are reaching out you can rest assured and be secure God is moving right now stand still and let God move standing still Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn over to the book of First Chronicles, chapter twenty-eight. <clears throat> First Chronicles, chapter twenty-eight. First Chronicles, chapter twenty-eight. We're going to just read a couple of verses tonight, verse twenty and twenty-one, and then we're going to go uh, from there and just uh, try to dig out a few things that we can uh, apply here. <clears throat> Chapter 28, verse 20 and 21. First Chronicles, chapter 28, beginning verse 20. We read, And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of a good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, though thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. 
And behold, the courses of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. There shall be with thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man, for any manner of service. Also the princes and all the people will be holy at thy commandment. Here in the particular passage we're reading, David, obviously earlier on in chapter 22 of First Chronicles, as we may, you may well know, uh, had prepared himself uh, or had been preparing for the temple to be erected, to be put into place. <clears throat> we know we have, <clears throat> excuse me, Solomon, <clears throat> boy, my voice. That'll be good here. Maybe I can get something stuck down there and kind of ring it out like you do a, a weapon or something, you know. <clears throat> That'd be all right too, but... Nonetheless, uh, we have here the building of the temple. And in chapter 22, David, uh, the king, had prepared for the building of the temple. Originally, he had wanted to build it. He had wanted to have the privilege, the opportunity to put together a package, if you will, to ultimately build the building where God would reside. And yet, because he was a bloody man, because he was a man of war, uh, uh, God did not permit that to take place. Instead, he deferred it to his son and said, listen, uh, your son's going to be the one to build the temple. And so David, uh, being the steward that he was and the man of God that he was, began to prepare so that his son would be in a position to do just that. So in chapter 22 of the book uh, of, of, of First Chronicles, David is beginning to prepare. He's, he's gathering funds. He's gathering silver. He's gathering gold. All the things necessary to accomplish the goal of building a temple on behalf of God, a place where he can reside. Solomon, of course, is anointed as king in chapter 23. And then in chapter 28, we find David now commissioning Solomon to do the work of God. And David's encouraging Solomon by telling him how the house of God will uh, ultimately be finished and completed. And so there's no doubt that David has been preparing, he's been readying himself, and he's also preparing and readying his son for the purpose and the job that God has given him to do. Now again, there would be a lot of uh, war in David's uh, tenure. For instance, he was fighting the Philistines constantly. There was a lot of battling taking place. But boy, in Solomon's reign, there's going to be a lot of peace. And he's going to have the opportunity to do some things that David could not do. When you're stuck on a battlefield, you're really going to have a hard time building. And uh, so, excuse me, so, you know, that's just a reality. And so at this point, Solomon's going to have the opportunity to do something that David couldn't do. And yet there's still going to be some opposition as we'd find, and as there always will be, anytime you're trying to accomplish something on behalf of God. So anyway, David here is giving him basically his, his commission. He's sending him out to do the work. And so what we're going to find is how to build, how to build the house of God. That's what we're going to find. And, and in our minds, and in your mind maybe, you're thinking, oh great, this is going to be a message on how to get that stupid carousel built. No, that's not what it's really about. It's really not about that. And if you thought that, it's because you're carnal-minded, it's because you're very wicked and Amen. sinful. Amen. Come on. Come on. Amen. <clears throat> no, it's because that's what we've been doing. We've been in the midst of this thing for a while, haven't we? But that's not really the direction we want to go here because in the end, that's just a piece. It's just a part of the puzzle. The reality is is that building the house of God is is about something far greater than a building. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Although, in this particular case, it was a literal building that was being built. And, And so there will be some parallels. There's going to be some things that cross over, if you will. However, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it takes to build the house of God. 
And we're, so we're going to note a couple of things. More than anything, we're just going to really note some, some necessary elements, okay? For instance, we're going to talk about the need for some character. We're going to talk about the fact that we need some confidence. And finally, we need some cooperation. If we're going to see the house of God built, then we have to have those elements. They need to be available. They need to be there in the, in the mix. So we're going to take a look at that. And uh, over the course of the evening, we're not going to take a long time to do it. So let's have a word of prayer, and then let's come back and ask ourselves the question, you know, how in the world are we going to build this house, the house of God here? What's it going to take to get the job done? And we'll see if we can't figure it out. Father, we come to you. Lord, again, we thank you for just this tremendous group that's gathered tonight. In spite of the weather, in spite of the cold, they're here. Lord, I know there were so many that would like to be here that are not able to be here tonight. We just pray that you'd bless and watch over them. But Lord, again tonight, we want you to meet with us. We will have wasted our time if, Father, we hear from a mere man. We need you today. And Father, I pray to your God you'd speak to our hearts through your blessed book, the Word of God, that, Father, you would take your Holy Spirit and drive home these truths and plant them deep in our heart. May we recognize and understand what it really takes, what it's going to require in order to build your house, in order to see, uh, Father, your kingdom increased. Father, we love you now. We need you. Well, thank you, Father, for what you'll show us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so first of all, what's it going to take to build the house of God? First of all, character. It takes a little character. And we're not talking about a character like as in a, you know, a funny guy. We're talking about character, uh, that thing that every man, every woman, every boy and girl needs in their life, a little character. And in the passage, we see that right off the bat, David, in commissioning Solomon, says, Be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of a good courage. Well, <clears throat> if we're going to have character, we need courage. We need that kind of character, a character with some courage. And you know what? That's what it's going to take. That sounds reminiscent of Joshua and the children of Israel as they made their way into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, when he's uh, getting the torch passed to him by Moses, Moses says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? Here we see those same words again. Be not afraid, neither be thou this made, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Again, Moses is saying the same thing to Joshua that we have David saying to Solomon in this particular case. Because if you're going to build something great for God, you're going to need a little bit of courage. And that's all there is to it. There were <clears throat> certainly going to be some battles in Joshua's day. They knew that they were taking the land of the heathen. They recognized the fact that they were going to be invading the enemy's territory. And as a result of that, there was going to be some tremendous warfare that was going to take place. And so therefore, Joshua, receiving instruction from Moses, here's those fateful words, be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of a good courage because you're going to meet some opposition. You're going to face some danger. You're going to deal with some problems. You're going to have to deal with a lot of a number of situations and circumstances that are uncomfortable. But you better be courageous. You better be willing to face them head on. And so in like fashion, you and I today are bound to battle. We are without a doubt going to have to invade the enemy's territory if we're going to build the house of God. Because listen, the people we're going after are not the ones that are in the house. They're the ones that are on the outside of the house. And so we're going to be going into the enemy's territory. We better be prepared for some battle. We better be ready with some character that says, I'm courageous. I'm ready to face problems. I'm ready to face uncertainty. I'm ready to face the battle head on. We can expect some opposition from a number of fronts. First of all, from Satan himself. Of course, you know the passage. You may have it memorized over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
We have an adversary. We have an enemy. He's not some figment of our imagination. He is real. He is literal. He is after you and me. He wants to destroy us. He wants to wreck and ruin us. He doesn't want anything good for you and I. We are definitely going to be faced with an enemy by the name of Satan. And he wants to ruin us, destroy us. And he certainly doesn't want the house of God to grow or to be built in any way, shape, or form. So we're going to have that opposition. But not only that, but we're going to have some opposition from the world without. There's no doubt that the world itself is not our friend. Now listen, it is easy to buy into this idea that we're to be, that, that everybody loves us, nobody hates us, and all that good stuff. But the fact is, is that if we are living godly, all those that live godly shall suffer some persecution. The, the fact is, is that the world is not our friend. They don't see things the way we see them. There is a direct opposition between the man of God, the house of God, and the man of the world, and the world itself. They're diametrically opposed. Diametrically opposed. And the Bible says, turn if you would to John chapter 17. Notice what the Bible says about the world. Oh yes, we have Satan, our enemy, our adversary. He's going to be fighting us tooth and nail. He does not want to see the house of God increase. He doesn't want to see the house of God built. He doesn't want to see it grow in any way, shape, or form. He's going to be on our back. He's going to be in our hip pocket. He's going to be trying to thwart every attempt that we make to try to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only him himself, but also his world system. He is the God of this world, and that world system is not our friend. It's an enemy. Notice John 17, verse 14 through 16. Jesus Christ, making his prayer, says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Wait a second. The world hath what? Hated them. The world hath hated them. Whether you think the world loves you or not, the world hates you if you stand for Christ. That's all there is to it. The world hates us. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, though, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. The fact is, you're not of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody, if I came home tonight to my home and somebody was sitting in my, my, on my couch watching my television when I walked in the door tonight, and I didn't even know who they were, I'd have a problem with that. I'd have a real problem with that. I, I don't even know how I'd respond to that exactly, except to say, get out of the house, you know, get out of here. I wouldn't say nothing to him at first. I'd tell my family, get out of here. <clears throat> I don't care if it was minus 10 below. They're not going in that house. <clears throat> And I have to deal with that. I'd probably call 911. But in my case, I'd probably go in there and wah! I'd probably go off on him. And then that'd be it. It'd be on. You know, so, you know, I'm just saying, you know, but, but I, that, they, they'd be the enemy at that point. I wouldn't have considered them a friend if they're in my house uninvited. And I don't even know who they are. You know what? We're going into their house. We're going into the world's house. We step outside the doors of this place. We enter into their house. And the truth is, is that we are foreigners in their home. We don't fit where they fit. We don't look like them. We don't act like them. We don't talk like them. We don't, we don't respond like them. We are different. We are unique. We are God's children. And the Bible says, the Lord Jesus himself saying, the world hath hated them. Now, listen, that doesn't give us grounds to go around worrying about somebody hurting us harming us. No, we need to love people. We need to embrace people. We need to go forth with a positive outlook. There's no doubt that the world often isn't even really aware of this battle that's taking place. They're not even aware of it. 
And, and so the, some, of, some folks in the world are, are not nearly as aggressive about those things as others, but the fact is, is that be on the, on the watch for sure. Realize if you're going to take the gospel to a world that is without Christ, there are going to be those who are not happy about it, and the world itself is diametrically opposed to the house of God. <clears throat> but not only will we see some opposition from Satan himself and from the world without, but we're going to see it from within. And this is where it gets tricky. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2, would you? Again, we're going to try, do our best to build the house of God. Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, and, and again, everybody's a little bit different, but the last time I checked in the Word of God, God's goal and desire is to reach the world with the gospel. He wants everybody saved. So I would assume that everybody in the room would say, I want everybody saved. Because that's what he wants. He's not willing that any should perish. That means red, yellow, black, or white. They are precious in his sight. That means boys and girls. That means homosexuals. That means uh, transgender. That means anybody that thinks there's something that God didn't make them. It doesn't matter. God wants them saved and God wants their soul in his hand. Now listen, that means there's a lot of people out there that God wants in here. People say, I don't want a big church. You don't want what the Bible teaches then. God wants everybody saved. And if everybody's saved, aren't they supposed to be in God's house? If everybody in Akron was saved, every church in, in Akron would be filled. Well, I don't want no church like that. I'd rather just stay a little home country. I just want to keep my own friends. I don't want anybody invading my privacy. I like our little... Oh, let's just keep it 50 people. Let's keep it 40 people. Let's keep it 100 people. It's comfortable the way it is. You bring in outsiders and everything gets messed up. Uh, yeah, exactly. When's the last time you had a child in your home? You know, when you was first married, it was just you and your wife. Next thing you know, you have a child. Boy, does that disrupt the home. And that's a mess. Literally. And then you think you got it all figured out and the next one comes along. And maybe even another and another and who knows how many. But the fact is, is that it creates chaos and confusion at first. So you get used to it. Man, they just come on in and things just kind of get a little upset for a while. You're up in the middle of the night. You're feeding here and you're trying to take care of this one. You're trying to do that. Putting them in the bath. Take care of this. Man, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of work involved when new people come into the home. And let me tell you something. This is a house. And when new people come in, there's no doubt about it. It's going to create a little upheaval. There's going to be a little bit of issues that take place. And there's going to be some, some transition that has to happen. But let me tell you something. A home that's not growing in a sense when God ordained it to grow is a home that is dead. And listen, we need that. And then once your kids grow up, ultimately you're praying and hoping they'll get married and maybe have a grandchild or if they can't have kids, maybe even adopt a child or do something because you want those kids to come into the home. It's a wonderful thing to see life in your home. And it's the same in the house of God. What keeps a house, the house of God fresh is new blood, new souls, people growing in Christ. That's what it's really about. But there's going to be some opposition within. Second Peter 2, verse 1 through 2. There were false prophets also among the people, referring to the people of God back in the Old Testament, Israel themselves. They had problems, remember? Some false prophets along the way, misguiding, misleading the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you, the apostle says to the New Testament church, who privily 
shall bring in damnable heresies. And that's an interesting word, that privily, isn't it? Do you know that usually damnable heresies don't just walk up into the pulpit and just let everybody know where it stands? Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, I don't believe the Word of God. I don't believe in a King James Bible. That doesn't happen usually. Here's what happens. And I was reading my Bible the other day, and I found this passage really hard to understand. So you know what? I got this other Bible. It helped out so much. You know what it was called? It's called the ESV. It's called the NIV. It's called the NASV. It's called it's called a perversion. But I didn't want to call it that because it's something I liked. Made my flesh feel good. You ought to try it. That's a damnable heresy. Privily too. Sneaking it in, telling one of our teenagers about it. Trying to get oh yeah. You know, I know the preacher's kind of funny about what he watches, but man, listen, there's this good show, and I know there's a lot of cussing in it, but listen, it's a good show. It doesn't hurt you to watch that. I mean, you're mature enough to handle it. Damnable heresy. You know, stuff like, uh, yeah, you know, that virgin birth. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, years ago they used to preach on that virgin birth, you know, but that's not that important anymore. I mean, let's face it, the blood of Christ. I mean, okay, it's necessary, it's good, it's needful, but man, that death was more important than that blood. Just the fact that Jesus gave his life, that broken body. That blood's important, but that broken body, man. Damnable heresies. It doesn't start usually from the pulpit. It usually starts in a Sunday school classroom. It usually starts among friends at, at a dinner table. It usually starts beside in the pew right beside. Listen, let me tell you something. It's privily it happens. It sneaks its way in. It takes time and it starts to fester and pretty soon it's a cancer in the church. And ultimately there are people being led astray because somebody's doctrine's off, but they're not going to share it publicly but privately. You better be careful with that. Be careful with that. It's funny how there's so many tremendous Bible scholars in the pews. It's amazing to me. I mean, our lives are falling down around us, but we, we know the Bible. We can't be faithful in our own church. We can't be involved in our own church. We can't, but we know the book. We'll help people with it. And we've got to get ourselves in order. But the, the, the problem is when we start building the house of God, we're going to need some character. That means we're going to need some courage. Why? Because there's going to be some opposition. And that opposition isn't just going to be from Satan. It's not just going to be from the world. But unfortunately, there might be some opposition from within. I, I just don't agree with building the church, you know, getting all these people saved and trying to get them baptized and get into our church. I think we're just working too hard for numbers. What? Are you kidding me? That's funny because if I look at your bank account and talk to you about it, you'd be concerned about numbers. That's funny if I talk to you about work and how much you make an hour, you'd be worried about numbers. That's funny how we all are about numbers. Everything's about numbers, but when it comes to God and His house, how come we worry about numbers? You tell me all you care about is numbers because you care about winning souls. You want the church to grow. That's all about numbers. That's all about pride and arrogance. What? How many kids you want to have in your, your family? Man, I want to have four. It's all about numbers. It's all about numbers. All you care about is numbers. Well, no, I just want four kids. I think it'd be kind of nice. Well, nobody else is having four kids. The average is 1.5. All you're about is numbers. 
That doesn't make any sense. Hey, listen, we're trying to build something here. Solomon was trying to build the house of God, a literal house of God. Unfortunately, you know, I say unfortunately, but there's a part of us. We're in the middle of that mess too. But this is really what it's really about. See, if this builds, none of that's a problem. God wants the house of God to be built. Because the house of God represents the people of God. And if the people of God are growing in their lives and ultimately reaching out and bringing others in, then God's always going to be happy as more people come to Christ and the kingdom's increased. So we're going to need a little character, which means courage. But not only that, but we need a little commitment. If you look at the passage again there in, in our, our First Chronicles 28, I'll just read it. But And David said to Solomon, be strong and have a good courage and do it. You don't think Nike, do you think Nike may have borrowed something from the Bible there? You know, and do it. I mean, they say just do it, but do it. I mean, that, that's, isn't it funny? If you really look at things in the world, they borrow a lot from God. They really do, whether they want to admit it or not. Because there's nothing new under the sun. But they, they said just do it. Well, guess what? That's exactly what uh, uh, David's telling Solomon. He says, listen, be strong and have good courage and do it. He's saying, listen, you're going to need a little courage, but you're also going to need a level of commitment. See, there must be a determination to follow through. To follow through. There's nothing easy about reaching the world with the gospel. There's nothing easy about building the house of God. There's nothing easy about providing Sunday school teachers and workers, training and teaching them to prepare them to teach and train others. There's nothing easy about discipling and mentoring those that are born again and newly saved and fresh into the faith of God. There's nothing easy about that. It's, it's going to require a little bit of just do it. Get it done. Building a church, reaching souls, transforming lives is not an overnight business. It's not a fast food mentality. The fact is, is that it takes a lifetime to truly reach our communities to really impact and influence our generation. It's going to take a level of commitment. You know, if you would go to any Bible college across America today, and, and probably you wouldn't even have to, I'm not even talking about fundamental ones, I'm just talking about any Bible college you want. They can call themselves fundamental, they can call themselves liberal, they can call themselves whatever they want. You know what you'd find is that the majority of Bible colleges are, 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 are having a real problem with one thing, retention. The, the first year, boy, you get a lot of freshmen coming in. And then after that, it goes, whew, drops down significantly. I'm called to God. I believe God's called me to the ministry. I believe God's called me. Man, I have the hand of God on my life. Man, I can't wait to preach this because I'm going to be really tearing it up. But then we go off to Bible college or we go over here to train or to prepare. And then after a year we go, man, you know, the finances are just too tough, man. All of a sudden I found a girl and I want to get married. And, oh, it's just, this is crazy, man. It just ain't working. I don't know how I'm gonna ha- it's going to happen. You know, what they're, they're, you know what they're lacking? Follow through. Commitment. Dedication. Which ultimately... Which ultimately spells out lack of character, yes. Somebody said, well, I don't think that. Yeah, there may be a case here or there. There may be an exception to the rule. But in most cases, they just don't follow through. They just don't do the job. I mean, go, go to any corporation in America today. And you know what you'll find? You'll find it's hard to find good workers. They're struggling to find consistent, good, solid workers. 
Man, they get, they get in there. They're excited. Boy, they're worried about what their, pa- their benefit package will be. They're worried about what their pay will be. They're worried about what their retirement will be. And then they get the job and then they walk in there. And then all of a sudden they're going, this ain't what I thought it'd be. I just don't know about this. This is really a lot of work. They really expect you to do things. I just didn't. I don't think it's realistic. You know, you got to actually clock in on time. I mean, you don't really give you any leeway here. And, you know, they expect me to work when it's inconvenient. I mean, there's a holiday coming up and, you know, well, I, I mean, I know it's Taco Bell, but, but still, I mean, <laughs> they're open every night of the week, uh, even all through, you know, holidays. And I knew that hiring in, but because I'm not going to do that, I quit. But you've only been here two weeks. That's about the mentality today. Anything gets a little tough, it gets a little hard, we give up, we quit, we, we, we try to find something simpler or easier. I'm not saying don't take a job at Taco Bell if you don't want to work holidays because that's what you're going to get stuck doing if you're the new guy. But I'm just saying, the, the, the reality is today is that, is that we need a little character. If we're going to build the house of God, let me tell you something, it's going to take a little bit of courage, but it's going to take some commitment. People are going to have to say, I'm going to get it done. It's going to get done. I'm going to follow through with it. I'm not going to just sit there and go out and knock on a door and win somebody. I'm going to go after them afterwards, try to get them in a baptismal water, try to get them to join the church, try to get them to be a part of this ministry to actually latch on and belong to. We need character. Number two, we need confidence. What's it going to take to build the house of God? It's going to take a little confidence. You say, what do you mean? Well, because there's going to be a number of attacks along the way, there's going to be a tremendous need to know that we are not alone in the battle. We're not alone in this thing. The greatest fear and worst feeling that a preacher can experience is when he stands in the pulpit, prepares to preach, and finds himself either in the middle of a sermon or realizes at the beginning that God's not there. You know what? That's a very lonely feeling. You say, well, that, that should never happen. And you know, biblically and scripturally, that should never happen to any of us under any circumstance. Right. When you're dealing with your wife and you just realize you said things you shouldn't have said, you ought to say to yourself, wow, I feel pretty lonely because... God wasn't with me on that one. Oh, it's easy to see the preacher, you know. I mean, he's a man of God. He ought to... But wait, aren't you a man of God? Aren't you women of God? And the reality is, is that none of us have an excuse to function and operate in this flesh. And yet that is the loneliest place a child of God can be. At least it ought to be. Samson understood that feeling all too well, didn't he? <laughs> Remember Samson, you know, he's hooked up with this wonderful woman named Delilah. We've got one of those in our church. <laughs> Ours is a good girl. <laughs> but anyway, Samson, he got messed up with a bad girl. <laughs> and uh, here he is, you know, she's tempting him, trying to get him to share the, the, the source of his strength, his power. You know, you know you've, you've heard the story. You've been there, done that, so to speak. So I don't need to go over it all. But before it's all said and done, he ends up sharing the secret of his enormous strength, or at least what he thought was the secret of it. See, Samson was convinced it was his long hair. But it was really the Lord. 
And then he found that out all too late when he realized in Judges 16, 20, and he said, the Philistines be upon thee, she says to Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before. You can almost see him like a superhero. And shake myself. I mean, I mean, he's just... You've never done that? When I used to fight five and six guys at a time, I'd do that. I stopped doing that once I got saved. So you'll have no record of it, so don't search it on the internet or anything. You have to take my word for that. But he awoke out of sleep and he said, I will go out in his other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He wished not. He didn't even know it. Can you imagine how he felt at that very moment? Surrounded by the enemy. Helpless. Helpless. Wouldn't that be horrible? And yet, we'll wake up in the morning and we'll walk out of our bedroom, into the shower, eat our breakfast potentially or possibly, run right off to work and never once meet with God and face the enemy without him. And we don't think a thing of that. But I guarantee you, if you walked out the door of your house and four or five thugs were standing there and you were all by yourself, you'd go, wow, I feel pretty helpless. But every single day, Satan and his thugs are waiting for you to walk out of your house without God. But we're not aware of the spiritual warfare that takes place. And that's exactly what's transpiring and taking place. David, of course, is talking to Solomon about building a literal temple. And he's saying, it's going to take some courage. You're going to need some character, friend. It's going to take some courage, but it's also going to take some confidence. You're going to have to have God with you on this one. You're not going to be able to handle this alone. You're going to need the power and the presence, and you're going to need the the promise of God in your life. And that's exactly what he told him he'd have. We find that he says, Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord thy God, even my God, will be with thee. His presence, he said, His presence, God's presence will be with you, son. And then he says, He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. His power will be with you. He'll not fail you. He didn't have you enter into this project to fail. And God didn't bring us here tonight to fail as a church. God didn't bring us here to ultimately close the doors. He brought us here to reach a world. His promises, he says, until thou hast finished all the work for the services of the house of the Lord. He will be with you. Don't you be afraid. Don't you worry. God is there. He'll not forsake you until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. His promise is with you. And may I say today, his presence is with us. His power is with us. And his promise is with us as well. We find in the New Testament that we have that same promise individually and collectively. Look in John fourteen sixteen. John chapter 14, verse 16. The house of God is nothing, less, nothing more than a collection of individuals who have been placed into one visible body. Here we are tonight. They often say that 
A chain is only as strong as its what? Weakest link. There's more truth to that in a house of God than meets the eye. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we look at our own lives and we feel so insignificant. I watched this groundbreaking movie just recently. Matter of fact, I saw some of it this afternoon. It taught such a tremendous truth. Now, again, it was somewhat directed towards self a little bit maybe, but I could see the spiritual application in my life. It's called Lego Man. <laughs> and he understood when it was all said that he, he was a big nobody. He's a big nobody. Lego Man's a nobody. But before it's over with, you know what he learned? Is that he could be a somebody. And it was all about how he viewed himself. We've talked about this a number of times. As the children of Israel are preparing to go into the promised land, what do they recognize? They say, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. They saw themselves as little. And some church members see themselves that way. And it hurts the body. Because every church member is valuable. And every person involved in the work of God has a part and a role to play. I'm glad Lego Man found that out. (laughs) And I hope church folks realize that too along the way. Because the reality is found here in this passage as we look at this book of, of John chapter 14 verse 16 when the Bible says, And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth and not neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We have the promise of His presence, His power, and His the, it, it, right there, right there before our very eyes for each of us. See, my confidence isn't in my ability. My confidence isn't in my, my, my uh, opportunity. My confidence is in Him. Now listen, this issue of humility is an, of, of an area that people really get messed up. Okay, watch this, okay? I, I get up and I go, Amazing grace How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I really struggle with singing. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to sing so loud. I'm just a humble servant. (laughs) Do you know what? Being humble doesn't mean you don't recognize talents you have. That's not what humility is about. Humility's saying, when those three young ladies got up there and sang, to be able to look at them and say, wow, I'm excited. They just, they put it together and it sounded better than I could have even done it. I mean, just being happy for others with that same talent and ability. It's not about putting yourself down. It's not about making yourself look bad before others. Oh, I have no ability to to speak. I have no ability to sing. I have no ability to do. No, if you have an ability, you know you have an ability. It's ridiculous not to have it. Now you're lying. Okay, if you have an ability, that's fine. Humility isn't about trying to pretend that you don't have something you have. And you know what? As a child of God, the one bottom line is this. It doesn't matter whether you think you have an ability or not. What you do have is power because you have him in you. 
See, the ability that I have to sing is an ability God's given me, but then it's also the opportunity to use it because of the power of God in my life. He takes that ability away, just like that if He wants. I realize where it comes from. I understand what it's about. It's about Him, not me. And that's the truth with every one of you. You have some abilities. You have opportunities now to use those abilities for God. You don't have to apologize for them, but you also can be proud and thankful for others that have those same abilities and lift them up and encourage them in the same. We have the power of the Spirit of God in our life. We have the promise of Him. He's there. And we have His presence always. So we have a confidence. David had that confidence. His brother thought he was being cocky. His friends thought that he was being self-absorbed. But no, he wasn't. Matter of fact, it's funny, isn't it? He wouldn't even wear the armor of Saul. And you say, yeah, that's because it didn't fit him. I'm sure of that. However, let me tell you this. Saul, however, thought somehow that that, if he wore that armor, that's why he was so so, so pressing about it. You got to wear the armor. Why? Because that's his armor and it would make him look good. It's funny that whenever ultimately his body was stuck on that old, uh, on that wall after he died in battle, that they took his armor and put it where? In the, the, uh, in, in the uh, Astaroth temple. Why? Because the armor became a token of their victory. Because it represented Saul. It didn't represent the God of Saul, it represented Saul. Saul was always about himself. He was a head taller than everyone else. It's funny that they took his head off too, isn't it? Pretty soon he was shorter than everyone. But he had no desire to magnify God, to elevate God. But David shows up on the other hand, just this lowly shepherd boy. And he says, listen, I've had a few years of experience at this shepherding. And I've had a few opportunities to fight and to battle with some pretty intense enemies, a lion and a bear. And God gave me the victory. God gave me the victory. God gave me the victory. And that Philistine will be just like one of them. God will give me the victory. That was the difference. His confidence was in the presence of God. In the power of God. And you know what? That's the kind of confidence you need and I need tonight. As we head out those doors, as we reach out to a world that's lost, we're going to need some confidence that there is a God with us. As a church collectively, we know that to be the case as well. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. And we need some character, without a doubt, because there's going to be a tremendous battle raging. So we're going to definitely need some character, which involves some courage and commitment. But we're also going to need, as we mentioned already, some confidence individually. But then notice, collectively as a church, we as a church can be confident. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. In order to 
really understand the passage, we'd have to go back through a little bit and maybe cross-reference with a few other areas. However, let me just simply say this. What we find here is just those seven churches. And the image or the vision that this John, the apostle, has is that of those seven golden candlesticks representing the seven churches. And there in the midst of those seven churches is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And, And what the point is, is that Christ is with his church in this age in which we live. We have confidence as a church. We can build Community Baptist Temple because we have the Lord with us. The only way we don't build Community Baptist Temple having the Lord with us is to close the doors and say, you can stand on the outside and knock as Laodicea did. People say, well, you just, there's no guarantees. Well, there's one guarantee is we can obey God. And if God wants us to grow, we'll grow. But let me tell you something, you don't grow by not trying. You don't just give up, throw your hands in the air. I'm not going to go where I was just going to go. Right, John? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it in. Not because it would be wrong, but it'd just take me down a rabbit trail, John. I'd never get back. Finally, last but not least, co-laborers. We're going to, what it's going to take to build the house of God, some character, some, it's going to take some confidence, but it's also going to take some co-laborers. He goes on to tell Solomon, he says, and behold, the courses of the priests and of the Levite and the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. And we recognize the fact that co-laborers are good. You know, what the, you know what the easiest thing to do for me is? To do things myself. It's a lot easier for me. I, I really do. Um, you know, there, there are some things. I, I, it's just easier for me to do things alone sometimes or without people. Uh, it, it's frustrating to include people sometimes and have to wait around for them to figure it out. You know? I'm just saying, I mean... Uh, it's, it's frustrating to maybe send somebody or go with somebody and say, well, we're going to go visiting and it'd just be easier if I could just take off from my house and just go instead of having to wait around for them or meet up with them. Just easier, more convenient for me. This is true. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe you're not like that. I hope you're not like that. That's a real downfall in the ministry. It can be a tremendous downfall. Um, there's, there's one side of it that's good. Okay, you start a church and you're the only one and you're self-motivated and you don't mind doing things and you're willing to work your head off. Praise the Lord. That's a good start. We didn't even have a staff member around here until after 300 people. Okay, that, that, that's a good thing because I felt I could handle it. And God gave me the grace to do it. But on the other hand, as the church begins to grow, you need some cooperation. You need some co-laborers. You can't do everything yourself. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, you stifle your growth if you don't begin early on to reproduce yourself in people. And that takes time and that takes effort. That means you're going to be inconvenienced. Some of you ladies, I, you know, I'm amazed. Some of you will come up to you and say, man, that was the best that I've ever eaten. 
And they'll say, can I have the recipe for that? And you go, uh, you know, I don't write things like that down. Sometimes I wonder if you just don't want to share it. Because you don't want someone else to be able to make something like you make and make it good like you make it. Or you give them the recipe with something missing. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that part. I forgot that. Really? Isn't that interesting? I I wonder about that sometimes. You know, because there's parts of us we, we guard. You know, there's things we guard. They're ours. And... If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're good at what you do, hopefully you're the kind that says, you know what, I'm willing to be inconvenienced a little bit to help train somebody else. I'm willing to do that. Um, And then I'm willing to work myself out of a job. By the way, if you have that attitude, you'll never work yourself out of a job, by the way. But by the same token, that's what it takes before we can truly see God's house grow. There's going to have to be some co-labors involved. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. No one is an island in the work of God. And there's no lone rangers in this business. If we don't find ourselves attaching to others, if we don't see ourselves allowing ourselves to be involved with others, then we're either going to take our abilities, we're going to take what we've learned our whole life to the grave with us instead of perpetuating it in the lives of others. Or we're going to stifle the growth of the church anyway, because, let's face it, many hands make for light work. I'll guarantee you this, I don't want to be stuck up at the carousel doing all the work myself. That's a lot of work. And you know what? Building the house of God is the same principle. It takes many hands, co-laborers. So it's going to take some craftsmanship, of which David, of course, says to Solomon, "And there shall be with thee for all manner of uh, with thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man for any manner of service." He says, "You know what, Solomon? If you need an architect, there'll be architects. You need tradesmen, there'll be tradesmen. You need general laborers, they'll be there. It'll work. It'll take place. God's in the midst of this thing. It'll be all right. But you're going to have to enlist some co-laborers. There'll be people that want to join with you in accomplishing this wonderful, amazing, miraculous task." You know what? That's what the church is right here. It's a marvelous, amazing, miraculous task. There's no way we can do it on our own. We're going to need to work together as a team. And there's going to need to be some skill involved here. And you know what? The Bible says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to have to study the word. We're going to have to know the book. We're going to have to be able to confront sin. We're going to have to be able to deal with the enemy. Then just simple cooperation. He says, also the princes and all the people will be holy at thy command. He's saying, listen, there's going to be people, they're going to follow you. They're going to follow you. That's a wonderful thing. Not everybody can lead. Solomon, there's going to be folks that will follow you in this. You know, that's the reality of it. There's a part of a man of God that has to be able to do it on his own or nobody will ever want to follow him. But then he has to be willing to start to hand it out. Now listen, handing it out is not being irresponsible with responsibility. Handing it out isn't just somebody walks in the house of, the God, house of God and says, man, listen, I've been teaching Sunday school for years. Let me do that. Uh-uh. 
No. No, we're going to run our background checks on you. No, we're going to make, want to make sure you're still going to be faithful here. You're going to be consistent here. That you're going to be all in. I don't care. You say, well, I moved from this part of the country and now I'm here. Man, you are the luckiest church in the world. There's no luck about this thing. No, nobody's desperate around here for people. You got to understand that you may be, but I'm not. I just told my son the other day, I am not desperate for people to join Community Baptist Temple. I am desperate for us as, as a church to go out and reach the world with the gospel. God will provide people at Community Baptist Temple who will be obedient and doing what we're supposed to do. We don't have to be desperate. Well, if you don't give them a job right away, they'll leave. Maybe we'll be better off. I'm just saying. I've had it happen before, and so have you probably. Maybe I can think of twice in the church history, out of 20, almost 21 years, where some folks joined our church, and within a matter of months, they decided that what they came from needed to be what our church became. I said, whoa, 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 let's stop right there. You left the church you left because it was a mess. So you think you can fix our church by making it what you left? Uh-uh, you joined us. We didn't join you. There's the door. You're welcome to use it. Or you can stay here and grow with us. Listen, I'm not trying to be a tough guy. I'm just saying, sometimes there are some things that are more problems than they're worth. And you know what? There needs to be an attitude of cooperation in the house of God. That's what's made Community Baptist Temple what it is, is that the people of God have gotten together and said, listen, we're serious about getting some things done for God. People show up every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Why? Because they want to see God do something, and together we have seen God do things. We don't want that to stop now. We want to build the house of God. That's going to take some cooperation. It's going to take teamwork. And I believe God has assembled a team that can get the job done here. I wouldn't waste my time if I didn't think that. What does it take to build the house of God? We already noted some things. Character, confidence, and finally, co-laborers. God help us as a church to have a great desire to see our community, our, our city, our, our county, our country reach for the gospel. Like I said, I'm not as interested in building this way as I am this way. However, we've got to get a little of this to spread it out. I'd love to be able to send every man that starts a church or takes over a small ministry from our ministry with four families. I'd love to be able to send four families out of Community Baptist Temple to go with them in that church, to stay there, never come back. So he says, I send them there for a year. No, 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 no. Move, get a new job, move into the area, plant your, your life, your family there, grow with that ministry, make it happen. I'd love to do that. That's what I'd love to see happen. What would that cost your church? There'd be good tithers and teachers. Yeah, I'd want to send Sunday school teachers. I'd want to send the best tithers we got. I want to send the people that can actually make a difference in the ministry. But it better be a man of God that would do it by himself if he didn't have one person. That's usually the problem right there. Got to have a vision and be willing to pay the price. But here we have a church. We have a community that's dying and going to hell. The question is, will we be willing to build the house? We have no real excuse. No real excuse. Because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. And so we have every opportunity to do the impossible. The miraculous. That many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. 
I pray that God will help us as we enter into this year. Yes, we have a lot of work to do at the carousel. Next Sunday night, we'll have an opportunity to see some of the progress. But that's not really what building the church is about. This is what it's about and out there. God help us to focus our attention on others, to realize they're what it's really about because that's who God cares about and who God really loves. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We are.